Hello everybody, this is Zach. I am just dropping in really, really quickly before the episode to say that this episode in particular has been visited by the uh, ghost of technical difficulties. Um, the audio quality, especially on Charlotte Sable's track, our guest for the uh, episode, um, not quite up to snuff with what I normally try to get out to you guys. It gets better, it gets more listenable. Um, I worked really hard. I also got help from a friend, Alec Moore, shout out there, who uh, just kicked butt and made everything a lot more listenable. So uh, this is an interview with Charlotte Sable. Uh, we'll get on to the show. Thank you guys for listening. It gets better as it goes on, I promise. I'm Nick and I'm here with my friend Zach and a special guest. Before we jump into the interview, I want to briefly talk to you all about our Patreon page. For as little as $1 a month, you can get access to some sweet rewards, including joining our Discord server. We also just added a new Patreon tier in which you get to sign up for a shirt subscription service. Basically, that means that you join our Patreon every month or every six months, we're going to send you a brand new shirt with a commander design that you get to participate in the design of. We have an artist who's going to work with you on our Discord server. You get to basically generate your own ideas, and then we will make the shirts and send them out to you. So please check it out. And if you aren't able to become a Patreon patron at this time, you can also help us out by writing a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. So earlier this week, there were ban list changes for the Commander format and the release of a new philosophy document. So we have on the show with us Charlotte Sable, CAG member, who's going to talk with us today about those changes. I'm Charlotte. I am a level 3 magic judge as well as a member of Commander Advisory Group. I have been playing magic since 1994, 95-ish. I've been a judge for 10 years now, and I've been playing Commander about that long as well. I also run the question blog at magicjudge.tumblr.com, and also write once a month for Cranial Insertion. Very cool. Well, we're so happy you could join us today and talk about these big changes. This is the largest ban list decision since the beginning of 20, was it 2018. Yeah, it's been a very long time. It's been quite a while. The biggest change, the one we're most excited about, is that Painter's Servant was unbanned, and Iona, Woo-hoo. Shield of Emeria, and Paradox Engine were banned. So let me ask you, Charlotte, what was the rationale for unbanning Painter's Servant? Because in the past, the Rules Committee has cited negative interactions with Ugin and Iona as reasons for it to remain banned indefinitely. I have a quote, actually. I've said before that Ugin probably provided the final nail in the coffin, making sure that Painter Servant never comes off the ban list. I have no reason to move off that stance. And that was from Sheldon Mennery, one of the members of the Rules Committee. What changed since the time that Ugin was introduced into the format? Let me just talk about my view of Painter Servant before we get to what has changed. To me, Painter Servant was unique among the banned cards because it's not a powerful card in and of itself but it's a very unique, strong enabler for any number of combos with things that reference or care about color. It's still never the problem piece itself. It's the enabler as opposed to the the nasty half of the combo. 
from the new philosophy document that was released with this announcement, it's clear that such cards aren't ban-worthy in and of themselves. As for what has changed, there was a strong push to unban Painter's Servant among the CAG members. A lot of the RC re-examining it came on our request for the most part. And then from my perspective specifically on what's changed since Fate Reforged, uh, there's a wide array of new answers that have been printed since then. And the format as a whole has evolved a lot in the last four years. People are running more removal and interaction than were played back when Ugin was first printed. So to me, it seems like a lot more safe. Plus, there's, you know, a few cool new things for Painter Servant to interact with that are fun and less nasty. That all makes a lot of sense, just because the format has changed so much since originally when it was banned. I mean, just on top of the spot removal, just so many more ways to interact with players. And people are just building decks very, very differently in, in a lot of circles. And I'm really glad to hear that the CAG had a big impact on the format so soon after it was formed. That's really promising. Yeah, it's a, that's really, like, it's a really cool thing to see that, like, yeah. they listen to you guys. I was a little disappointed back with the War of the Spark update when we had our meeting. The RC was pretty insistent that if we were focusing on rewriting the philosophy document that we should wait on taking any considerations on banning or unbanning cards. Since the CAG was new and was still, you know, fresh in the public eye, I was wanting some action to be seen. But I, I believe that we reached a better set of results now by waiting than we would have had if, if we'd pushed more for changes three months ago. I definitely was one of the people who was a little disappointed that there were no changes at the last update, but I'm glad that we got the changes that we did. And if the extra time was what was required to make this happen, then I'm I'm all for it. The thing that gives me the most hope about this change is that like they're listening to you guys and really working towards like making the format as good as it can be, which is kind of our mm-hmm. goal too. <laughs> like we just want yeah. people to play and have as much fun as possible and like as many cards to be viable as possible. So the fact that like this announcement happened and all of a sudden people can play with this card that's like super awesome, specifically about Painter Servant, like I feel like that's just such a net gain for the format. What was the rationale for banning Iona, and was there a connection to the unbanning of Painter Servant? Obviously, it would have been dangerous to have them both legal together in the format at the same time, but even if Iona hadn't been banned, I still think it probably would have been safe to unban Painter Servant because is tooth and nailing for Painter Iona that much more obnoxious than tooth and nailing for Crater Hoof and Avenger of Zendikar? I mean, one walks the game, the other ends the game, but you know, it's really basically the same thing. By herself, Iona is an obnoxious card in a format where a whole class of decks are limited to a single color of spells. Like, because of the color identity rule, you, you can't have, say, a red deck run uh, Dismember or something like that. Like you could in, say, Modern or Legacy or whatever. So because of these limitations, monocolored decks specifically can have a very hard time dealing with Iona, because if Iona comes down and names the color of your monocolored deck, there's only like a handful of cards that monocolored deck can play that deals with her. And they're all at like a really bad rate. You're looking at Scour from Existence, Venereal's Disc, or whatever. But, but still, these are things that, you know, take time, and you have maybe one or two slots for these cards in your deck. 
it really is obnoxious and it's definitely something that personally I've had to think about whenever I'm building a monocolor deck, I want to make sure I have at least one or two answers for Iona in the deck because I just don't want to get locked out if the situation is where she comes down and the table doesn't feel like helping me out. And just in general, having a card like Iona that says, you know, sorry, monocolored deck, you can't play for the rest of the game unless someone takes pity on you. That's just not what we want Commander to be, and it's not what the format should be. It doesn't matter that Iona costs nine, or and it doesn't matter that she didn't see a whole lot of play. She just shouldn't be legal in the format, period. As for the connection to Painter's Servant, there wasn't one specifically. There was a much stronger will from the rules committee and the CAG to ban Iona than there was to unban Painter's Servant. I mean, Painter's Servant's certainly uh, a safer card to unban with Iona banned, but the decisions were both made separately on their own merits. I know that, like, for me and Shivam and a couple other CAG members, Iona was, like, number one on our radar for the things we wanted changed in the format just because the card is so miserable. I want to talk about the other banning what was the rationale for banning Paradox Engine? Obviously, it's Paradox Engine good, but like when a card actually becomes like a meme for a strong card in a format, you know, it's something that needs to be looked at. And looking at Paradox Engine after giving it time to sort of behave itself shows that it's a card that just doesn't create good play experiences and lets players run away with the game really easily without much setup needed. The cards you need to combo with Paradox Engine are like Mana Rocks or Mana Dorks, and decks are already really well incentivized in the format to run those cards. There may be specific decks and themes that don't want to run those, but they're in the tiny minority. Paradox Engine is also like a really massive time suck as the combo turns take a while. When a Paradox Engine deck is going off, generally they can't just like say, this is a loop and I win. They have to like actually like play a spell, play a spell, play a spell, play a spell. And while a card or a strategy being a time suck isn't a reason to ban it per se, it definitely leads to worse experiences for other players. We just need to sit and watch while, you know, the Paradox Engine player twiddles their artifacts for, you know, 10, 15 minutes. And then sometimes it can just not work, and then they pass the turn, and then they have to try and do it all again next turn. Yeah, we were actually talking about this the other day, and... um... I really think that imbalance in turn length is one of the, like the best indicators for whether a game is not fun. If somebody yeah. say has like asymmetrical land destruction or like an infinite turn combo or some sort of super long combo turn, like all of those are really good indicators yeah. that something bad is happening that we might want to prevent in some way. It would be interesting to actually take a look at how much time each player in the game actually uses after it's all said and done, but I agree with you on that in general. Commander is a social format, and it's very antisocial to be monopolizing you know, the time just for yourself. Like It's one thing to do that in tournament magic, where the goal is just to win, and you know, if the way that my deck wants to win is by taking you know infinite extra turns and eventually killing you, that's one thing. When there's three other people at a table, at least in a commander game, that's just not what people are there for. If it becomes about knowing for the motions, then what do you need the other players for? Well, even in tournament magic, like Wizards has definitely taken steps to try to punish 
that kind of one-sided gameplay because like there was the nexus of fate banning in best of one on arena and then also like the way mm-hmm. they punished the eggs combo deck in modern like yeah it, yeah it, it definitely makes sense that commander yeah, would, I mean, would take a similar stance it is a consideration time taken is also the reason why sensei's divining top has been banned not solely but like it really is you know a giant time suck and so it makes it a little easier to ban that kind of moves us on to the next question we had for you which is do you personally disagree with any of the decisions i was in favor of all the three changes that were made so i'm happy with the results i would have maybe liked to see a bit more of a change but like in retrospect i didn't realize it had been like two years since there had been a change and so seven cards changing one way or the other like that would be a a bit too big of a change i think i certainly would like to see more change in the future and i would hope that there'll be more changes again before another two years have passed just to make it clear that the CAG is literally just an advisory group the rc is the ones that actually vote on banning or unbanning the cards and you know the CAG we don't have the power to actually vote for or against unbanning the cards. That's all on the RC to do. And there were more cards that were voted on, but you know, at least there was the discussion and the vote on those ones, which is a good sign for the future that they've actually been considered. Yeah, I think yeah. this is a promising sign for the future. And I think that like mm-hmm. the reaction of the community is probably also going to lessen if there are future changes because it had been so long since the last change. It was a little bit shocking for the community, and I think that they'll adjust to this new period where bannings might be a little bit more common. I mean, ideally, we don't want the ban list to get too big, and we shouldn't have, you know changes all the time we want people to feel confident they can you know buy cards to put in their deck or that they can play cards they own and that we're not going to you know ban them out from under them but at the same time you know the health of the format is the primary consideration but stability is one thing that contributes to the health of the format following the banning of paradox engine Josh Lee Kwai talked about how he opposed the paradox engine ban in part because of its financial effect on the community are the other members of the CAG or the Rules Committee also taking financial impact into consideration when they make their ban list recommendations? Is a less expensive legal card more likely to be banned than one that requires more investment? It is something that I think should be kept in mind, though, but I don't think it should hold a ton of weight to it. The secondary market does exist for cards, but the fact of the matter remains... That Paradox Engine you had before it was banned is still the same card now, that if it ever gets unbanned, you can still play it in Commander. Like, yes, you know, we put a value on these things, but the health of the format needs to uh, be paramount if we want Commander to continue to thrive. As for considering things when it comes to banning a legendary creature, or I suppose one of the Planeswalkers that can be a Commander... It's one thing to ban a card that's like in someone's 99, but it's another thing entirely if you like completely ban away their whole deck, you know, especially if the commander is strong and unique and not necessarily interchangeable. But even still, you know, Iona had to go. Thank you for explaining that. I like hearing the arguments. And, and I, I think that's one of the things that we've talked about on the show before is that before you guys on the CAG were around, it was almost like there was this like 
wall between the rules committee and like the community uh, as to like their thought processes. So until they made a decision and explained it, you had no idea what they were talking yeah. about, what was going on. And the fact that you guys are all here and communicating yeah. with us and with them, like, I think that's doing just alone. That's doing a ton of good for the format. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I think that the transparency really helps especially if you talk about cards, say, that are kind of on your watch list because there's less likely to be a huge loss in value if everyone in the community kind of understands what cards are, like, being considered, what cards are in danger of being banned. Mm -hmm. Mm Because then, of course, like, the market can take that into consideration when it's setting the prices for these cards. Maybe people will be less likely to buy a card that they know oh, this is kind of right. being seen as potentially problematic by the, the authority on this format. Well, yeah, that's fair. But on the other hand, like, how long do the cards stay on the watch list? Does a card being on the watch list means it will be banned eventually? What, you know, if a card goes on the watch list and then comes off the watch list without being banned, is that a broken promise? It's fine for, like, me and the other CAG members to share our opinion, but there shouldn't be an official watch list format i don't think because it has all of those problems that i just discussed as long as there's like a discussion like not necessarily like pinning cards up on a dartboard and being like all right look out you guys but at least having an open discussion about like well you know we are looking at this i would also argue that other formats do have a sort of watch list in the sense that there's tournament results available that everyone has access to and everyone can see so like Hogak kind of took a little bit of dip in its value prior to the most recent ban list decision for Modern, even though the deck was winning a whole lot because everyone just assumed that it was going to get banned or something from the deck was going to get banned. It's kind of unfortunate that Commander doesn't have a similar repository of data that anyone can see that could inform ban list decisions. Yeah. Commander really can't be a data-driven format in the same way as a tournament format because it's not competitive. We don't have, you know, deck lists from events. We don't have tournament results. We don't have tournaments in general. Like, the only data we have from sites like EDH Rec or whatever that just count what people choose to put online, but the people that put deck lists online are a small enfranchised sliver of the wider community I know I've asked you this in your previous appearance, but I'd feel remiss if I didn't ask it again. Is there any interest in pursuing Magic Online Commander gameplay data as a potential source of information for ban list decisions? It hasn't come up in any of our discussions, and again, I feel like the Magic Online Commander data would be even more biased. It's almost a different format. Like It has the same ban list, but the card pool is slightly different. There's a lot of older cards that just don't exist on Magic Online, and there's price differences as well, and that sort of thing. It's not something that we really wanted to look at. I think in that respect, something like EDA Trek is the better resource, but if someone were to compile the data and hand it to us, we wouldn't throw it away. We'd still give it a look, but I don't think it's necessarily something specifically to pursue. I would argue that um, EDH Rec is more of a set of data on how people are building their decks, but... I think that like the gameplay data on Magic Online could answer certain questions that you wouldn't be able to get answers to anywhere else. No, no, that's 
fair and I understand that, but again, I think the sample size is too small and to be of any real value, it would probably be better to do just more of a wider sort of community sort of thing rather than digging into game logs on Magic Online. I do definitely agree that Magic Online is going to be probably not representative of real life games because it's way easier to get into commander in real life than it is on moto and if there's so many advantages to kitchen table commander but -hmm. because there isn't another data set that exists i think like magic online might just be better than nothing is how i kind of view it but i mean as long as we look at the data taking you know the realities of what it is into consideration i think that would be fine but I don't think we should try to make broad characterizations with it, more just find specific like correlations within the data set rather than trying to extrapolate from the data set to a wider format. Commander's the only format with like a philosophy behind it. And part of this update was an update to the philosophy document. Would you want to explain the changes there or why they happened? The philosophy document was, I think, originally written in 2012 or something, and it had some outmoded language in it. Well, the RC offered, and we accepted to, you know, get our input onto the format. And so we sort of collaborated to redo it. As for what changed, I mean, the philosophy has generally stayed the same. We just sort of clarified a few points. Although the version that came out is certainly not perfect. Specifically, there have been a lot of uh, rumblings from the competitive end of the commander community about the wording of the first two paragraphs making competitive players feel unwelcome in the format, which is certainly not something we want. I will see if we can maybe sort of soften that language a little bit. While the philosophy document isn't specifically saying playing competitively is bad, if you read between the lines of the first parts of it to see that's certainly the implication. And I think it would be good to adjust the wording to make it sort of more clear that everyone is welcome. There's definitely been some language from the other members of the CAG that didn't seem very inclusive of the competitive community. Some other members of the CAG talked about how competitive commander CEDH players can go off and sort of form their own format, which is definitely not inclusive. I think a lot of the fear that casual commander players have of competitive players is not super well founded and is based on stories they've heard about people bringing competitive decks to casual pods and like curb stomping your fun deck with this turn zero flash hulk win or whatever which is not what competitive commanders about competitive commander players want to play with other competitive commander players and enjoy the format through their hyper to highly interactive decks right that's what they want to enjoy in the format which is fine and again as the philosophy document says communication is the goal moving back to the philosophy document I was hoping to get some clarification on what the the CAG and the Rules Committee had in mind when they wrote certain passages. I just wanted to maybe get some examples so people can more easily understand what was meant by certain parts of the document. So, for example, one line is, The primary focus of the ban list is on cards which are problematic because of their extreme consistency, ubiquity, and or ability to restrict others' opportunities. So what are some examples of the above? 
going by cards that are currently on the ban list, I would say that cards that we're worried about because of consistency are cards like Ruffalos. Like, having Ruffalos in your command zone specifically can lead to very consistent, very fast excess mana every single game, which means that you very quickly unbalance the game in that way. As for Ubiquity, basically, when a card is super, super good, it tends to get played as everywhere it can be. So, like, that was the case with Prophet of Crufix back when it was legal. Like, there was no reason to not run it. If you deck included blue-green and you were playing any amount of creatures. As for cards that restrict opportunities, basically, we're talking about, like, Dax pieces. Cards like Iona, but also cards like Irio, uh, who can be flipped into an enchantment that just counters the first spells your opponents cast each turn, as well as Leovold, who can just stop anyone else from drawing extra cards. And then in combination with other cards, like, say, Teferi's Puzzle Box, can be very easily turned into, like, a hard lock. Thanks for explaining that. I also wanted to talk about the bulleted criteria that were in the philosophy document. I would just like to sort of point out the bulleted criteria, it's not a checklist. It's a brief explanation of why the current ban list is what it is. And you shouldn't, like, compare cards that aren't banned to this list and say, hey, this card matches, you know, A, B, C, and D. Why is it not banned? You should be looking at the wider philosophy document itself rather than a small list of bullet points. Like, this list used to be a list of banning criteria, but that was taken away because people tended to hyper-focus on it. And while the list is is worth talking about still, I want to make sure that people aren't reading too much into it. Okay, would it be fair to characterize it as a description of the cards currently banned? Would that be a little bit more accurate? Yeah, and I mean, there's obviously reasons beyond these, and there's reasons that in the past cards have been banned that aren't these. It's trying to explain this is what the ban list contains. And I understand that cards may get banned that don't necessarily align with these these categories. Yeah. Some cards hit one category really severely. Some cards will just be a little bit of a bunch of things, but just be super heavily played. There's a lot of reasons that cards get banned, but it all comes back to the main philosophy. Okay, well, I'm just going to read these out. The ban list includes cards which easily or excessively cause severe resource imbalances, allow players to win out of nowhere, prevent others from contributing to the game in a meaningful way, cause others to feel they must play certain cards even though they are also problematic, are very difficult for others to interact with, especially if doing so requires dedicated, narrow responses within deck building, interact poorly with the multiplayer nature of the format or the specific rules of Commander, or lead to repetitive gameplay. So before we talk about this list as a whole, I was just hoping you could explain this fourth bullet cause other players to feel they must play certain cards even though they are also problematic. This descriptor sounds like it's less about gameplay and a bit more about player psychology and emotion. Can you speak to that a little bit? Well, this ties back to the ubiquity point in the last question. These are the cards that basically become 
the focal point of games or of metagames, either with getting the party to play or being able to answer it. Like I was talking about with Iona before, the sort of consideration that monocolored decks had to give to, you know, having a slot or two for this card that isn't very heavily played or wasn't very heavily played, you felt like you need to pack an answer or two in your deck. As for a card that aren't currently banned, I'd sort of put Cyclonic Rift into this category. Every blue deck basically needs to run it unless they have a good reason not to. And, like, I've seen players say that, like, every white deck they play needs to have Teferi's protection because they need to be able to answer a Cyclonic Rift and not lose their board. So this one is dealing with the cards that basically can start to cause feel-bad situations even before the game begins. Like, well, I can't get blown out by that card, so I need to put X, Y, and Z in my deck. Can you give us some examples of cards from the ban list that fall into each of the above categories? So for causing severe resource imbalance, that would be cards like Sylvan Primordial, which takes a land away from everyone and gives you that many lands. So, you know, you're up four lands on any individual, six lands on the whole table. Gristle Brand, you can just turn your life into cards with no questions and get the cards immediately. Similarly, Ogmot's Bargain does the same thing. I suppose that the line between those two is something like Necropotence is that at least with Necropotence, so you don't have the instant gratification and has to wait until your next go-around plus you have to discard. Allowing players to win out of nowhere are the cards that basically require very little to do, but it would also include things like Biorhythm, where it's easy enough to just raft a board or something like that, and then, oh, I have one indestructible creature, and I cast Biorhythm, and I win. Or something like Tinker, you know, where it's like, suddenly I turn the Seed of the Synod into Flights to a Colossus, slap these boots on it. Or even, to a lesser degree, something like Coalition Victory. If I'm playing against a Reaper King deck, and they've, like, toured out some lands and they've played Reaper King, I'm not necessarily thinking, oh, I need to be watching out for Coalition Victory. As for preventing players from contributing to the game in a meaningful way, uh, we have Iona, of course. We also have Ruayo and Leobold, as I mentioned before. Also Braids, any of these cards, basically lock people out of the game and, you know, stop anyone from basically being able to play Magic. Specifically, like, the cards that I've called out in this category are all legendary creatures, and so I think the biggest issue with why these pieces are banned and Staxi cards are not banned is that these cards are all legendary creatures, and having that consistent access to them is what pushes these over the edge. One thing I was going to say about Iona is that on the surface, Iona doesn't necessarily look like it's a staxy sort of card. It looks like it's a good sort of defensive card. It's a cool big angel. It's like, oh yeah, this is fine. In some ways, Leovold can be that way as well. Like, you know, I want to make it so that if you try to mess with my stuff, I get to draw cards, right? People might not necessarily play Leovold. Think the opponents can't draw more than one card a turn ability. On their surface, these cards look like they do interesting things, but then once they're in play, they can just cause misery. Orio and Braids are pretty much exactly what they say on the tin, though. I don't think anyone sort of misevaluates those. It's almost a design problem, because I feel like the, the most fun commanders are the ones that reward you for doing something, and then some of the least fun ones yeah. are the ones that prevent your opponents from doing something in the same way that Iona does, yeah. Leovold does, Orio does. Yeah. 
in some cases with those kind of cards, it, it tends to be like either they don't do anything if your opponents aren't doing that thing or cards exist that force your opponents to do that thing. So like maybe your opponents aren't all playing the same monocolor deck with Iona, but like a painter servant does exist to force your opponents to all be playing the same monocolor and get locked out. And like Leovold, maybe yeah. your opponents aren't running a bunch of wheel effects on their own, but you can force them to wheel and make with it happen. Puzzle, with puzzle blocks or windfall or whatever. Yeah, exactly. This might just be a little bit on wizards to design commanders that make you build up your own resources and reward you for doing something rather than punishing your opponents. Mm -hmm. That's why I feel that like some of the newer legends, you get to do it twice sort of things like Yarak or Teza Carlo. They're good design space because they're saying be proactive, not stop your opponents from doing the thing. Yeah, definitely. Back to the list. We already talked about causing other players to feel like they must have to play certain cards. We have our popular prefix, our Ember Cool. Also, things like Black Lotus or the Moxes, they would fall in this category because your deck is obviously not good enough without them. You could make an argument that something like Mana Crypt brushes on this category as well, but not to the degree where it needs to be banned. Can I talk a little bit about that last one? Yeah, yeah. That one is, is really interesting to me, the ubiquity part of it. It's, it's really tricky to discern whether a card is ubiquitous and totally healthy for the format, like, say, a Swords to Plowshares, which, you know, most white decks should probably be running it, versus something like a, a Prophet of Crufix that was everywhere when it was legal and was degenerate. Yeah. Is it something that it kind of has to align with one of the other categories, or is it enough on its own to just be everywhere in the, the way that Soul Ring is? I don't think so, unless it's causing problems. If a card is causing actual problems and it hit a few of these points or hit some of them pretty strong, then it is worth considering. Okay, yeah, thanks for the uh, additional clarification. The next one is cards that are very difficult for other players to interact with, so obviously Iona also fits into this category. Uh, against monocolor decks. Cards like Recurring Nightmare, because if a player is playing it correctly, is never going to stay on the battlefield, right? It's going to come into play and then immediately get used and be back in the hand where it's harder to deal with unless you're playing black and discard or blue counter spells, etc., etc. Like, Recurring Nightmare is a card that seems like it would be a really cool one, but it is super hard for, to interact with and a lot of people just have never played with it or against it. And That's true. Mm -hmm. That is actually very, very true. The next one is cards that interact poorly with the multiplayer nature of the format or the specific rules of Commander. So obviously the big one for this is Caracas. This is a format about legendary creatures having a land that can just for no cost other than tapping it bounce legendary creatures is kind of miserable. And then another card that is banned specifically for this reason is Trade Secrets, which is another card that seems really innocuous for those that don't know the card. Trade Secrets is a sorcery that costs one blue-blue and says target opponent draws two cards, then you draw up to four cards. That opponent may repeat this process as many times as they choose. So they can basically draw any multiple of two cards, and then for each set of two cards they draw, you can draw up to four. And it's really easy to game this card politically in Commander. Like in a one-on-one -on -one game, obviously it's uh, a bit more of a downside to give your opponent cards, 
in a game of Commander, there's generally someone that you can safely give some cards to. And also, and there's just like the the king making aspect of it, or just you draw as many cards as you want, or even just uh, you sort of collude with one other player to increase both of your odds of winning from twenty five percent to fifty percent. It's really not a good card for the format. At the same time, I don't know that unbanning it would necessarily hurt the format too bad. Finally, the last category on the list are cards that lead to repetitive games. Uh, this is actually a criteria that I brought up a lot in our discussions on the document because repetitive gameplay is one of the things that leads to the most sort of annoying commander experience where a player is, you know, being a time hog, you know, just otherwise doing the same thing every single game sort of thing. Uh, so cards that are banned are cards like Time Vault and Panoptic Mirror, which is banned basically because you can put extra turn effects and then just take all the turns. So I see a lot of alignment between the banning of Panoptic Mirror and the banning of Paradox Engine because the cards that Panoptic Mirror synergizes with the extra turn effects, I don't actually think there's really much of a cost to run them in Commander because they essentially pay for themselves by allowing you to untap all your lands and draw another card. So they're okay. both cards that synergize with cards that is not difficult to fill your deck with and can exactly. win you the game in that scenario. Yeah, exactly. So that's the list, and that's my take on the cards on the ban list that sort of match those criteria and how to sort of think about those points. If you look at sort of all the cards, like, again, there's some cards that are in multiple categories, some cards that, you know, don't quite fit one category specifically. It's important to remember the sort of overall philosophy of making sure that we have games where people get to play Magic. Really what the philosophy document just sort of boils down to is we want Commander to be a format where everyone gets actually a chance to play. This doesn't mean don't run Counterspells, don't run Interaction, let everything happen no but everyone should actually get a chance to do something and not feel like they didn't get to play magic commander is meant to be a social game our next question is going to be about a survey recently there was a survey it was posted on reddit um people tweeted it it ended up in a lot of places i think at this point it's over ten thousand responses which is really cool and it showed the number one card that most people wanted banned was Flash with 37.8%. Even though Flash is pretty much only played in CEDH. And if you look at EDH rec, it's only in like a thousand something decks. <laughs> like not not that many yeah. at all. So is the CAG and the RC like interested in making bans for CEDH, even though it doesn't affect like regular commander? And does like something like this popular support for those bans, like, would that sway your decisions at all? The RC aren't interested in addressing CEDH, but there's a contingent among the CAG for trying to push cards like Flash that don't see or have fair uses in the average playgroup but do cause problems in CEDH. It's still part of the community, and I don't think banning one or two problematic cards for CEDH would be a big issue as long as it wouldn't necessarily take fun away from more casual community this is something that is important to me and that i'm going to try to push for but i personally would be in favor of banning cards such as flash or like food chain which is only in like 1200 decks on edh rack or dramatic reversal which is in a few more decks like 7300 it's really only a problematic card with isochron scepter and 74 percent of the time it's played it's played with isochron scepter I don't know if all of those need to be banned. I think specifically banning Flash 
is something we could do to help the competitive end of the community. But right now, the RC seat, the ban list, is something that serves to address what we want the general commander experience to be, so that doesn't include those sorts of concerns. While I can respect their opinion, I, I disagree. I'm really glad to hear that. I personally don't really play CEDH. I don't have a finger on the pulse of that community, but I'm sympathetic to them. I think that part of the reason they have a bad reputation is because the system isn't set up so that they can interact with other players well. Their goal just seems to be to push the boundaries of the format. And if the rules committee is completely ignoring the boundaries of the format, the things like Flash Hulk or Food Chain Combo, then it's not really on them. Like they are just exploring the system that is set up by the leaders of the format. Right. I mean, again, and I, I, I'm not saying that we need to do everything that the competitive end of the community asks us to do. I've been talking to people in the competitive side of the community over the last few days, and some of the people I've been talking to are not happy with the announcement. In general, what's important is that the CEDH community needs to realize that they are a very small piece of the commander community, and by purposely putting themselves on the edge of the community, they need to understand that they're not going to be the focus. They're not going to be what the format is tailored to. And while we are happy to listen to them, having them be heard is not the same thing from having us agree with it what they want all the time. They are definitely welcome in the format. I really appreciate that you are trying to be more inclusive of the competitive community. I know that some other people on the CAG or the Rules Committee are a little bit more willing to be like, hey, they can go off and make their own format, or they address Oathbreaker in the same way. They can just go off and do their own thing. But I really think that although Commander can't be everything to every person, if there are easy ways that we can include more people and prevent the format from splintering, then we should definitely do so. And it's awesome that you're looking for these opportunities like Flash, like Food Chain, where you can drastically improve the competitive scene and meet their needs without having really any impact on regular commander. I will say of the three cards I talk, I would say Food Chain probably has the most fair uses of cards. Like mm-hmm. Food Chain is the sort of card that a more casual player would see and think, oh, this is cool, I should, I could put this in my deck. Whereas, say, a uh, Dramatic Reversal and Flash generally actually weak cards that are probably not worth a slot in a deck whereas food chain is is you know on on its face a quite strong looking card and a quite interesting looking card especially to like a a more combo-minded player yeah that's totally fair i do think that the dramatic scepter like build your own paradox engine that's probably fine (laughs) like you said dramatic reversal is like such a do nothing card when it's just on its own. I'm, I'm expecting that there'll probably be an uptick in play of that now that Paradox Engine... I don't know how many blue Paradox Engine decks weren't already running it, though. I think we can move on to the next question. So in the same poll I described earlier, Mana Crypt and Soul Ring were the second and fourth most requested bans, with 26.1% and 22.6% of the votes respectively. Is the CAG or Rules Committee interested in banning these cards? 
given that one of the criteria for banning mentioned in the philosophy document was causes severe resource imbalances. Uh, I don't think that they need to be banned at all. For one thing, having an extra two mana, it's not a big deal, in my opinion. Like, yes, it makes you beginning of the game faster. As for these specific cards, first of all, banning Sol Ring would just cause a riot overall for the community. Like, I think it's pretty much equivalent to Brainstorm in Legacy. It's like the poster child for the format. Like, Sol Ring is Commander. Banning Sol Ring, which has been printed in every Commander pre-con, is probably something that's just never going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. As for Mana Crypt, like, I don't think it would be much better. You, you think the outcry from banning Paradox Engine from the people who are complaining about lost value was bad? Like, imagine <laughs> what it would be like if, if Mana Crypt was banned. Like, you that's, want you want people complaining about lost value. That's the hardest part of these ban lists and making these decisions and bannings and unbannings is like, there are certain things that would just be best for the format, just like full stop, if they happened. But then we don't live in this heady intellectual world where it's just the cards and it's just the pieces like Mana Crypt and to a much lesser extent like Mana Vault, Grim Monolith, like those expensive cheap mana rocks. They promote this deck building and this incentive to go as fast as possible, like pull out way ahead of your opponents. These cards have value. They're also collectible items. It's just so hard to divorce from the real life like financial implications and how people invest their time and their money into the game and figuring out where the line is to respect that is like super difficult can i say something on the subject of lost value i think that part of the reason people may be upset about losing value over paradox engine and why people may react poorly to other like announcements that the rules committee has made is because there is like little warning and because the rules committee has traditionally been pretty opaque and and not very transparent if there were some metric or some source of information where people could make like rational decisions about potentially losing value in the future and sorry to keep circling back to this but for example if there was a report prepared by wizards on like these are the cards most likely to be cast on the final turn of a game in magic online commander or these are the cards that are most likely to be played right before there's a huge disparity in turn length i think that if there were some sort of publicly available data like that for commander gameplay in the same way that there's publicly available data for tournament results then people could see, oh, this card is causing a lot of problems in Commander on Magic Online. Maybe it's something that I want to sell because I don't want the risk of my card getting banned and going from $200 to $20. Sure. But I mean, I think that there's not a huge difference between that sort of hard data and people sharing their own experiences and they're complaining, oh, I lost to this like it's basically the same thing like you know people are going to complain when they get blown out people are going to complain when you know someone combos out of nowhere i mean i'm sure you could also piece together the data from posted on you know reddit or facebook groups or whatever and you'd probably get just as good of an image not as concrete certainly but i think the thing to remember is that the rules committee isn't looking to balance commander the same way wizards balances formats like standard right it's looking to balance an experience versus balancing a competitive environment and they're different things 
On that survey, there's a question about wishes and wish effects in Commander, specifically effects that let you get a card from outside the game. And Wizards, they've said they're going to print more of these for arena gameplay, because you can get stuff from your sideboard for best of one. And these cards currently don't work in Commander, because there's no sideboard and there's no rules for sideboards. 46% of the 10,000 people supported some sort of change for like wish functionality in Commander. How do you feel about wish effects? The answer to wishes certainly isn't sideboards. The idea of a sideboard exists because of the structure of tournament magic, and Commander just isn't a tournament format. There are 100-card singleton formats such as Dual Commander or Canadian Highlander or German Highlander. They don't use sideboards either, and they have the same lack of functionality for wishes in their formats. Honestly, like I'm in support of the current rules. Like I don't think that the general base Commander rules need to change to allow wishes because the way wishes work in magic has always been from your sideboard and if there's no sideboard then there's no wishes like i understand what they're trying to do for best of one and that's great at the end of the day this is one of those things that is basically impossible to administer because there is not even anywhere close to any sort of agreement on what the ideal composition of a commander wishboard would be, like how big, can you have duplicates, does it have to match color identity, etc. There's so many factors, and everyone thinks that they have the right answer, and so the RC and the CAG, we feel that the best solution for this is just to take advantage of rule zero, and if they want to do wishes, if they want to have a five-card sideboard, ten-card sideboard, if they want to, you know, give someone a minute to dig out of their binder, whatever they want to do, that's cool, you do you at your group, but on the top level, we don't feel that there's any sort of way to properly administrate it in a way that the majority of people are going to be happy with. I don't think that most players care particularly how the rule is administered i personally just think they like want to be able to play with their cards i don't think like timmy or johnny have a particular preference for whether they are allowed to get cards out of their binder or if they have to have these 10 cards set aside for the specific deck but i think it's worth noting that this 46 percent of the 10,000 respondents they are taking this side when there's only 13 cards legal in commander that search for cards outside the game but if wizards is going to be continuing to create these cards for best of one like we have three cards in standard that currently allow you to search cards outside the game clearly it's going to be a a more frequent thing in the future and if the number of cards uh, that allow you to search for outside the game goes from 13 to 26 to 39 however much i would imagine that that the percentage of players who want a rules change so that they can play with these splashy cards would only increase over time. Would you consider, once it hits the 50% mark, maybe revisiting this, or once it hits the the two-thirds mark? I I really believe that support for this kind of rules change is only going to go up in the future. Right, And, and again, I think it really depends on what Wizards does to implement it. I don't know how much communication there has been from the RC to Wizards on this subject, But again, I feel like the right way to go with this would maybe to institute the old wish function, which is like before the M10 rule changes, a card that was removed from the game, which is now exiled, was accessible with a wish because it was removed from the game. So it was outside the game. But 
when they created the Exile Zone, so Exile cards can't be wished for anymore, one of the newer cards, I think it's Karn, they made the ability able to get a card outside the game. So I think if they just started putting on these new cards outside the game or in Exile, then that would be more reasonable and it would still be able to function in Commander without having to add a sideboard or a wishboard. But again, depending on the volume that they produce, I'm sure if they keep printing these cards, there will have to be some sort of suggested guidance. But at the moment, I don't think it's specifically something that the RC or the tag is looking to address at the moment. Okay, yeah. I, I just thought it was very notable that in back-to-back standard sets, we've got Karn, the Great Creator, and War of the Spark, and then immediately in Magic 2020, we got the new Vivian. And it seems like a direction exactly. they're definitely trying to head in the near future. And no, it'd be no, great if Commander absolutely. could align with that. It'll depend on Wizards, but I would hope that they can take some feedback from the Commander community and, you know, maybe just open it up to exiled cards like the previous rule allowed, and then there's still functionality that works in Commander without having to add a new rule for which boards or what have you. Yeah, it's it's tricky because I know Mark Rosewater has said that he really doesn't like getting cards back from Exile. He thinks that, like, it's important that Exile means, like, gone forever. What's the difference between getting back a card that's gone forever versus one that was on the wishboard? It seems pretty much the same to me, honestly. There is a point at which it just becomes a second graveyard, and I think that's where that danger comes from. Like, if if you do have a bunch of these wish cards that also, like Karn reference Exile, eventually, maybe not next year, maybe like 10 years from now, if they print like one of these wish cards in every set, eventually there would be a critical mass of like, well, now my exile zone is just my second graveyard that's harder for my opponent to interact with. And I think that's, that is a danger, I think. So I do think they have to be very careful if they were to take that route. Yeah, that is true. But again, I feel like unless it becomes a more fundamental shift to magic, it shouldn't be necessarily a thing. Let's move on to the next question. We've just got a couple more questions to go. Yep. What are your thoughts on Planeswalkers as commanders? In the poll that we've mentioned before, 37.5% of respondents were in favor of allowing all Planeswalkers as commanders. Right, so that means that 62.5% of players don't want Planeswalkers as commanders, which is a pretty strong majority, and I'm with that majority. Commander is a format about having a deck headed by a legendary creature or one of the very few Planeswalkers specifically designed to be a commander. People already complain about the prevalence of combo or, on the other extreme, the length of games. Having Planeswalkers as commanders would really exacerbate that problem by either slowing games down with, like, some of the stacks commanders like Narset or Teferi, or giving powerful new tutors and card draw and card selection commanders like Liliana Vest and whatever in the command zone. Also, it slows the game down by virtue of not having a creature there and having something else people have to attack. Also, if this change was made, a good handful of Planeswalkers and a bunch of other cards would really need to be banned, and I'm sure there's a ton more players out there that would hate to see something like doubling season banned than to see Planeswalkers as commanders. Hypothetically, the Rules Committee has a complete change of heart. Tomorrow, they're like, all right, next ban list, uh, we're going to allow Planeswalkers as commanders. And like, there's some obvious ones. So like, obviously, like Soren, let's say they ban Soren, they ban yeah. Narset. Narset, like, let's say they ban like the ones that are super obviously unfun. What maybe like three off the top of your head, do you think would need to be 
banned? Uh, well, Narset, obviously, because if Leovold's banned, Narset needs to be banned. I would say, like, Teferi Hero of Dominaria would need to be banned just because of the strength of the emblem. Well, obviously, Doubling Season would need to be banned. I don't know. I mean, there's definitely some quite strong ones, like... Ugin would, would probably be pretty unfun. Ugin's probably up there. I think that we'd have to take a really good look at Chandra Torch of Defiance. There's just, like, so many that are super strong, like Gideon of Trials, maybe even, just because of the emblem. Because if he's in your, your command zone, and you can't lose if you have a Gideon, like, that's pretty rough. Okay, well, thank you for... That was kind of a, an off-the-wall one, but I've, this is a debate that I've gotten into people about is like yeah, what no, no no trust me the CAG and the RC had a very in-depth discussion about this topic and we like looked what the implications would be and it w- was not pretty at all and people who are asking for this don't know what they're asking for I definitely agree that there is a potential to slow down the game you're right that replacing the one creature you have access to at all times with a planeswalker that could slow down the speed of the game that's definitely a concern of mine. I'm a little less worried about things like the prevalence of combo because there are legendary creatures that tutor. I'm not so worried about that, but the pace of the game is something I I would be concerned about. Again, this is something where if your group wants to try it out, wants to do it, like by all means, try it out and have fun, but it's not something that we're looking to do for the broader game. You, you can add it as a topping on top if you want to try it out, but it's not something we want for the base level game. If War of the Spark and Magic 2020 are any indicator, I think that Wizards is going to be yeah. trying to design more Planeswalkers that are a little bit niche and less Planeswalkers yeah. that are like the typical plus one draw a card, minus three kill something, minus eight ultimate template. Yeah. And I think that these newer, narrower Planeswalkers make for better commanders. Like, they may have been designed with Brawl in mind. I think it's worth noting that although historically Planeswalkers would not have been very interesting commanders because many of them followed that template, I think that in the future, the number of good potential commanders among the Planeswalkers is going to increase. And also, just certainly the play patterns I've seen, just playing with the new, like, uncommon Planeswalkers in the 99 they're definitely less obnoxious than like the old school walker sort of demand an immediate answer and some of them like would be really fun like here are the beckoner deck that sounds like a blast my, my friend built that deck actually and it is really really sweet it's super fun every time he gets yeah, rampaging but... balos out that deck or like azuri's predation the yeah. deck goes crazy but I think that part of the reason yeah. the uncommon planeswalkers are so fun is like, as as you were saying, you don't feel like you need to kill them instantly. I think planeswalkers without ultimates are way more fun to play against because yeah. you don't feel like if I don't deal with this now, I'm going to lose to that emblem that I can't interact with. At this point, we're kind of winding down the discussion. We had like two more questions for you. Uh, they're related. And I just want to make sure that everyone listening knows that, again, these are your personal opinions. Like, nothing that you're about to say should be taken as, like, law or, like, the rules or anything like that. This is just your personal opinion. Mm -hmm. Because the first one is, what cards are on your personal watch list to ban? The cards that I'm concerned about for CEDH, like Flash, Dramatic Reversal. But beyond those ones, the cards that I could see being very supportive of a ban on would be Cyclonic Rift, which is 
currently top of my list because it's just not fun. I think it's becoming a bit too ubiquitous and a bit too annoying. I also think expropriate probably needs to go just because it's a, it's very much a time hog or win out of nowhere card like Paradox Engine is. Another one that I think isn't really on a lot of people's radar, but I think is sort of very much only feel bad camp is Vorinclex. Yes, he, he's a little easier to deal with, but it's very much like a very bad situation. There's plenty of other cards that double your... And there's plenty of other cards that can like lock down lands like Winter Orb. I think the combination of those two things together is just very much a trap in the same sort of way Iona was. And it's not a card that I think belongs in the panel. I think that very much goes in line with what you were saying earlier, especially like the arguments with Iona. So, um, and also about expropriate, I don't think being nine mana, as we've seen, is any uh, indication that something should or should not be banned. Expropriate is very much one of those like eye roll grown sort of card right? it, is, it is a grown test card you basically always go like oh and then and then see what happens and then your Where friend goes time like, and you y'all yell at him and but i don't want him to take my ex yeah it, it is definitely frustrating if anyone at the table doesn't know how to play against it that sucks yeah it's like this went from like we probably are going to lose to like now we are definitely going to lose <laughs> So in that same vein, do you have any cards on a watch list to unban? Like any cards that you think either would be like fine or fun? I was told, you know, cut X cards from the list like right now. These would be my choices. I could see some of them being let free. I think Worldfire would be okay. It's very much a grown test by the virtue of what it does. It puts everyone to one, and so it's very easy to win the game. Uh, Gifts on Gift is very strong and very flexible, but it is mostly just an innate. It is a four-card tutor, though, which does make it kind of iffy. Trade Secrets, like we talked about it before, it's really more of a political card, sort of in the same way that Expropriate is, but less grown-worthy. Yeah. It's kind of more of a, like, we don't want that, more than we hate that sort of thing. I think that that's something that like Josh yeah. has talked about. Like he wants to keep the list as short as possible. And so that's, yeah. that sounds like kind of yeah. the same notes that you're trying to hit here talking about like, oh, these are probably... Yeah, basically a coalition victory. You need a creature of every color. There's instant speed removal that can respond to that biorhythm as well. You know, you basically have to raft before it. And again, it, these are eight mana spells. I think they're probably fine. I... I'm fine having them banned currently, but I'm not going to like cry if they're unbanned. I've talked to people about Coalition Victory, and it's easier to do than I gave it credit for, but at the same time, it's still eight mana and like a minimum of two permanents in a five-color deck. Like I don't think that the format is going to be like off the rails because Coalition Victory became unbanned. Yeah, I don't think that like five color decks looking to win the game as fast as possible. I don't think Coalition Victory is actually the fastest route. Like yeah, yeah through exactly. Cost two. I think it would see play in the new Sisse decks, the five color Sisse, as like a cool, yeah. fun. Yeah, she's like, in the, the art. She's in the cool, art. Flavorful thing. It's probably fine. It's a win out of nowhere sort of thing, but it's very interactable. Biorhythm is interactable. Like if someone goes and casts Biorhythm and they have one creature, you can kill their creature and then the game's a draw. I just want to say I like that unbanning list 
if we want to keep the ban list short, I think there are some easy wins, and I think you named a lot of them today. It would be awesome to like get rid of stuff like that that's probably not going to see play and maybe find room yeah. for more cards that are actually causing problems in the format. I will note that there is one card I didn't mention, which is similar to World Fire, which is Sway of the Stars. Everything gets shuffled into the library. Everyone draws seven and goes to seven. I feel like that's less likely to end the game than like a World Fire is. And putting people at seven is still relatively substantial. And I feel like that's more likely to just prolong the game painfully in the same sort of way Cyclonic Rift can. Mm -hmm. I'm not in favor of unbanning that one, even though, again, I think it would probably be okay to unban, but I'm not in favor of it unbanning under... It's just kind of a miserable card. For Sway of the Stars and Worldfire, like, if people were just to put that in a random deck, then yeah, it would probably be miserable, but I feel like the only people who are really excited to put those cards into decks are the ones that can break the symmetry and make sure that the game will end in their favor. For example, Joyra of the Gitu can suspend Worldfire and then also suspend a huge Eldrazi and make it so that the Eldrazi resolves right after Worldfire. Or, or same with Sway of the Stars. She can suspend Sway of the Stars and a big monster. And then, oh, the game's reset, except I have Ulamog on the table. The distinction between Worldfire and Sway, to me, is that one life is so much easier to deal with. Like with Worldfire, someone can just rip, like, Forest, Llanowar Elves, and then they're probably going to win. Yeah. The only one on your list I'd be a little bit worried about is Gifts Ungiven. Yeah. I feel like that might be more of a CEDH card. Yeah, I mean, again, I it's definitely the most borderline of the ones I listed, but it's currently like the only tutor that we have been, which makes it kind of a weird sort of outlier. I can briefly go over the reasons that I feel that Gifts deserves to stay banned. I think if Gifts were a sorcery, it would be completely fine. Like the fact that it's an instant of the nail in the coffin for it being banned, the ability to use it as a double entomb in addition to its intended finding four cards thing, is, is you know, basically almost makes it a modal spell, which, you know, just adds to the flexibility and power of it. It is a tutor for four cards for four mana, which is a lot and quite strong. But then another big point against it, I think, is that it also can be a time in that finding four different cards in a 100-card deck, players that are less experienced doing it, splitting them can take a while. And then especially if opponents are arguing with each other over it, it can also take a while. And like, it would just, it slows the game down. Like, again, I'm not going to be super sad if it ever gets unbanned, but I think it's a valid ban at the moment. There, there are players who are like pretty slow at tutoring when they know exactly what they want. But to add the layer of like mm-hmm. mind game on top of it, it's like, what do I want them to think I want? Like, having to do all that yeah, while searching exactly. a 100 card singleton seems like it would be really, really painful. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, one of my commander decks is an Unesh Thinks deck, and so I I have seen a lot of people having to split four-card piles, and not everyone is quick at it, and not everyone is decisive. So, yeah, it's, it's not something that is really great for the format. This is a good, long discussion, and I want to thank you for like explaining all these thought processes and like how you in particular but also the cag have yeah, kind of absolutely. been communicating with the rules committee the rule how the rules committee has been thinking about this yeah we really appreciate the the transparency
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's why the CAG was made to sort of bring more points of view to the RC, but as well as to also like make the whole process a bit more transparent and open. This is not so much for you, Charlotte, but for the listeners. One of the things that I noticed and that you've probably also noticed, and I know like Sheldon's noticed and a lot of people in the CAG have noticed is the negative outcry because of the bannings. I know none of our listeners are these people, but just be nice to each other. <laughs> there were literal death threats that were sent out. Come on, guys. Our it's really game. cool that like we can be in a community where there's so many people passionate about this game that we all play and that that's the game that brings us all together. But please understand that, you know, it's a fun debate. This is a game we play and it's totally cool to disagree and it's totally cool to talk about it, but it's not cool to just lash out. Also, if you want your voice to be heard throwing out death threats is the worst yep. strategy possible because yeah. <laughs> then you just get blocked and then they'll never hear what you have to say ever again. We deal with these issues so that you all can go play magic and have fun and not have to worry about it. Yeah. That's why the CAG and the RC are here so that these arguments don't have to be had at every table at every GP. Yeah, well, we appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for sharing your perspective on the, the yep. changes and giving us your insights and for coming on the show. Happy to do it. If anyone ever wants to get in touch or just share their thoughts about the format in a respectable way with me, please, you know, get in touch with me or the other CAG member. You can find me on Twitter at JackalGirl, which is J-Q-L-G-I-R-L. I'm also on Commander Theory Discord, so you can chat with me there. Plug, plug. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, my Tumblr is at magicjudge.tumblr.com. You can always ask me CAG and EDH-related stuff. I'm not too difficult to track down online. Yeah, and I do want to uh, throw out to our listeners, like, please go on to uh, Charlotte's blog and ask questions. Like, the content there is very good, and you will learn a ton of stuff. And also, like, your question is going to be answered in a way that's visible to other people so that they can learn more about the format, too. Yes. So thank you so much. We will be talking to you again soon, hopefully. Yeah, thanks, Charlotte. All right. Uh, before we go, I want to thank our Patreon patrons. They are Bradley, Gustav, Ryan, Mark, Amond, Addison, Arthur, Mason, Will, Elvis, Rick, Laser, Raphael, Kyle, Charlotte, Andrew, Casey, Brock, Tom, The White Clays, and Aubrey. Thank you all for supporting the show. We keep the lights on here in the studio. And if you are not currently a patron but would like to become one, you can check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with me, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr. If you want to reach Zach, he is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter and Tumblr. The opening song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check him out on SoundCloud. We'll talk to you guys next time. 